and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, episode number 59. My name's Matt Lees, I'm joined by Quentin Smith, and way over in Otherland, it's Paul Dean. Hello. Paul, did we establish what country you're in yet? I, I think we're, we're really narrowing it down now. Belize. 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 Forgive hey, me. I believe I can fly. The people listening to this podcast should Belize... In some great content we've got coming... That was meant to be Believe. Did it work? It did, yeah. But then you've asked if it worked and that kind of ruined the momentum. I lost faith in myself. We're going to be talking about Imperial 2030. We're going to be talking about Roll for the Galaxy. We're going to be talking about something in the document called Ghost Tubsters 2. Um, and then we're going to be talking about Star Wars Destiny a little bit. And then we're going to have a, a breakdown, a debrief... Uh, uh, I can't think of another a word. A dance that break. A dance break where we're going to discuss the big, big feature we did on the site last week, breaking down, again, we can't get enough of these breakdowns, Board Game Geek's <laughs> top 100 board games of all time. Yes, and of course, all lists are purely subjective. So just to confuse that, mat- and that matter further, we'll be talking about some of the games that weren't in the subjective 100 list that we subjectively felt should be subjectively in that subjective list. Because in our subjective reality... What we say goes? Yes, just like everyone else. Uh, Paul, you're a mover wow. and shaker. I've always said this about you. You are someone who makes things happen. You're one of life's <laughs> doers. And that's why I wanted you to review Imperial 2030. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's been going? That You know what? This has been interesting because uh, this is a game that I looked at when you mentioned, like, oh, this this has quite a good reputation. It seems to be good. Why don't you grab a copy? Looked at it online, thought... Looks a bit dry, but could be good. It has lots of cool wooden pieces. Uh, and it turned up, and I read through the not as well as it could be written manual. I think, I'm not sure if it's German, or like half the stuff is in German anyway, and it feels like it's badly translated from German. And I thought, this is going to be very dry. I'm going to have a very dry, risk-like game here. Can I just um, ask you a question, Paul? Does the box mm-hmm. art for this version of the game have a large holographic globe on it? Yeah, and it doesn't also look fantastic, does it? I mean, it resembles quite closely the photograph of Donald Trump recently uh, touching the globe, uh, which is uncanny and slightly disturbing. Well, that is 100% perfectly appropriate, because what the game is actually about is you don't really play... You have a bunch of nations, you have a map of the world. It seems initially very, very risk-like because you put down armies and fleets and countries invade each other and things, but you don't really play a country or a side you sort of just play yourself as some kind of crazy super capitalist entity where you buy sort of shares in countries um, and that allows you to take over them and do things with them and make money with them and the more money you have the more you can just buy shares in other countries and take them over so you end up in a position where if somebody if somebody is in charge of a country and they are doing very, very well, and the country is doing well and it's maybe conquered a lot of territory and it's raising a lot of funds, if you have a bit of money in your top pocket, you just buy into that country and you either completely take it over, in which case it's like, this is now mine, or you just, you know, reap some of the benefits of the fact that they are making a whole bunch of cash and maybe use that to buy into a different country instead. So, McCann- and it's. I've just, on, sorry. Well, I've just realised what this reminds me of. Um, so we're reviewing this, uh, to be clear, because a lot of people say it is one of the greatest board games ever. I thought it looked really interesting. But what I'm realising now, Matt, do you remember when we were doing the BGG's Top 100 this week and you were ogling all those train games that mm-hmm. we're going to review soon? Those have the same mechanic as this, where 
in a lot of those train games, you don't play an individual company. You just buy stocks in the different players that are on the board. And so Imperial 20 is doing, 2030 is doing the same thing with countries. You know, you're, I don't play America in the style of risk. I can just buy some stock in America and then see how America does and then sell that stock later. Some of them. I think some of the train games we looked at were just about building tracks I don't, and building train lines. You might be surprised. I might have some bad news for you about the game you've agreed to review. Admittedly. I mean, <laughs> that's the funny thing is uh, after uh, making some light jokes about trains, which in Britain is, is a pastime, people need to understand. People <laughs> who are fascinated in trains in Britain have a certain reputation. Uh, Quinn's um, ordered me railways of the world and the expansion railways of great britain Mm -hmm. uh, which arrived uh, was signed for by my neighbors uh, who opened it (laughs) thinking it was for them so now after looking at the the box art for railways of great britain i think now my neighbors have a very specific image in their head of the sort of man i am i think right Um, now we've got a lot of american (laughs) listeners going well i don't find the humor in this anecdote at all this sounds very it's just a man interested in railways the, t- the term train spotter has connotations in the UK. So, yeah, it's fine. I've accepted it. And if anything, it's kind of a realisation of my character in a good way. It's just like, this is who I am now. You'd been amassing cool I am the points with that neighbour for many plays moons. board games about trains. Paul, have you been having fun with Imperial 2030? I have. I have had fun with it. And it was, I wouldn't say like it's funny, but it was surprisingly funny at times because it's a game where whatever the balance of power is within the world with, uh, you know, Brazil taking over South America or Russia invading the US or whatever, you basically get to kick that scale all the time or tip it by just being like, well, you know, you're doing very well with these people at the moment. I've got a bunch of cash in the bank, so I'm now in complete control of America. And just buying someone out or occasionally even getting stuck in that horrible position where you actually currently don't have enough shares in any country to control them. So you don't currently have a turn in the game, but you still make money from the things that you invested in earlier on. So you you sit there and you you sort of have this uh, – in my case, it wasn't too bad, but a short period of downtime where you get a bit frustrated, suddenly realize that you're rich anyway and it doesn't matter – and then just buy a chunk well, of, that's exactly uh, like, it. become king of Brazil or something. something the bo- <laughs> We've the all fi- been there. On the final turn of the game. Um, I think the board game community doesn't talk much about this, though. That actually appeals to me, but uh, because there is that genre of card games where you're, you're barely playing, you know, you're flipping cards off a deck, you're playing cards from your hand, but there's not much strategy involved. Because sometimes it's just nice to sit down with people without, you know, breaking your brain over some uh, awful pointy puzzle. I quite like the idea in Imperial 2030 of sort of speculating, spreading my bets, buying a little bit of every country and then just not playing the game. Like just trash talking and drinking beer for a couple of hours. You know what you kind of could? And although reading through the manual was a little more difficult than I thought, and then they had an example of play which I actually found quite unhelpful. But when you got the game going, it was fairly straightforward. It moved at a fairly good rate. And things like... There's there's no dice in it. The way combat is resolved is incredibly simple. So many things in it um, are much more about you and the choices that you make. And the, the maybe you're not allowed to do things like trade money or units with players, but you can make all sorts of informal agreements. It just becomes a game about what you choose to do uh, and who you choose to be pals with and how you choose to be a bit of a rascal. And... That's good. That's much more interesting to me than uh, having happen, happening to have drawn a cool card off a deck or rolled something excellent on the dice. I mean, it ex- sort of I'm distills in- the rules down to all you really need. 
Yeah, it, it's all you need, but with so much of that um, really uh, playful uh, interaction between players that, that thrives. Um, I, I'm so interested in the mechanic of like, if Matt fully controls India, then I just buy a few shares in India. So, because, you know, I know Matt's good at board games and now whenever he's like crushing other players, I can be like, yeah, but I've got some shares in India and then I sell my shares in India. And then because I'm so competitive, I crash India into the ground. <laughs> just to spite you. We had also, yeah, we had countries that just failed miserably and, you know, no one no one invests in them. And you get to that point where it's like, well, I did care about this nation for a while, but they're sort of going wrong and I might as well sort of hop on the going wrong train and, you know, what start beating mean? up. I, mm. You mean just, just <laughs> I jumping? It sounds worryingly realistic. It's a, this is the thing. I thought yeah. this game would be really funny, but now Paul's explaining this to me, I'm finding it like... A little bit nauseating, but in a way that's probably mm. all good, clean fun between friends. It is good, clean fun between friends, and um, certainly the games we played ended up sort of quite close, quite competitive, and, you know, they, even right up to the very last turns, there was still a chance for you to, to make a purchase or make a decision that could tip the balance of things, and I liked that a lot as well. You were, you were giggling to yourself, Matthew, I don't know. I wasn't, sir. I'm yeah, sorry, I, sir. Do you want to share what you were thinking of the class? Sir. No, I wasn't. Matthew, why don't you tell us a little bit about something you've been playing? You've mm. been a master of your destiny. Da, 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 destiny by Bungie. Destiny board game. What are you singing? It's a Star Wars theme tune. Oh, right. So I've been playing Star Wars. I really recognise that. Um, it's uh, Star Wars Destiny, which is a game with cards, but also it's a game with dice. And also it's a game with lots of foil packets. And uh, that's, for me, a bit of a problem. So, yeah, this has been, um, this has sold so much. It's now, I think, Fantasy Flight's biggest product. Like, it's oh, just... Oh, wow. It's, really? They, they, it, was the, it was the biggest game they've ever done a first print. It was the biggest first print run they've ever done, I think. Yeah. And it sold out instantly. So that, but I read that as this is their biggest thing. Right? Well, um, sort of. And actually reading between the lines with how that's panned out, it's, it's kind of interesting. I'll come back to that. Um, it's, first of all, it's really good. Okay. Um, I really like it a lot. Um, the game basically functions by, uh, it's a kind of like a deck building game. So you have a little deck of 30 cards, you draw them up, play them, but then lots of your cards, not a huge amount, but you know, maybe five or six, maybe seven or eight in your deck will be cards that you actually place down in front of you. And then you will have a, a dice that comes with it. So when the game starts, there's no dice on the table? Nope, no dice at all. Dice effectively live on the cards. And it basically means that, like, on this card, you have a little, like, box on the side that tells you, like, what all the sides of the die are. So you have, like, six things, which are like, oh, so this is... So before you even play it, you can get an idea of what sort of thing it's going to do. But it means that, basically, there are cards as well that are like, hey, play this card, this happens. Play this card, this happens. Mm-hmm. It's still got that kind of very traditional so it, it, card it, game I, stuff. I assumed it was, I think, maybe along with a lot of people, because the dice are front and centre in every photo mm-hmm. of the game, that it was like a dice game with some card play. But it sounds like a card game with some cool dice. Exactly. And basically what's lovely about it is it means that you have these cards, like the character cards have dice on them, and then you'll like equip a lightsaber card to the character, and then it means when you roll that character's dice, you also roll the lightsaber dice. Mm. So that means basically when you activate a character, you activate all of the dice that are currently equipped to it. So run that being um, a kind of like... Uh, sort of Magic the Gathering, a Hearthstone thing where the aim is to beat the kind of invisible character behind the cards. Right. In this, you actually have characters. You put you put your two characters on the table. They're on the table at the start of the game with oh, dice okay. on them. Oh, okay. So there, so there are, so there are dice. Sorry, I got it wrong. There are dice on the table at the start of the game. 
But then the idea is you have to kill those characters. So after you've killed the other player's characters or they've run out of cards, you've won. But it means you put more and more dice on and you roll them. But the lovely thing about it is that when you roll them, it's not a case of being like, I activate this character, I roll the dice, this happens. You activate the character, you roll the dice, and then all of the dice that you've rolled so far on your turn sit together in a pool. Mm -hmm. And then it means that you actually activating them is another turn. And you only get one turn, you take it in turns. The pace of the game is quite fast. You get to choose to do one thing each turn. Okay. And it basically means that it's got a lovely gap there because it means I could roll my dice and just get some beautiful things happening in front of me and be like, oh my God, you know, you're in so much trouble. But I can't make it happen until next turn when I might go, all right, well, I've got three dice here with melee attack damage. I'm going to activate them all at once because you can only activate one type of thing at a time. But it means they've got their whole, they've got their turn to try and stop that. And it means there's, there's lovely things so people mm. can uh, use cards that have abilities to re-roll dice and that means you can re-roll your own dice or other people's dice. Mm. You can force dice to go onto a different side. Like you can actually sometimes just choose what side of the dice you want and okay. be like, okay, I'm going to put that there. Or you can, could you choose to turn your opponent's die to the worst? You can place? remove them as well. You can literally, like, you can just t- pick up the dice and put it back on their card and be like, that's just, you're not oh, getting right. that. But you just can also, like in Star Wars, yeah. when Luke Skywalker says, <laughs> Father, I want you to put your dice back on your card. And he goes, oh yeah, I am your dad. How did you know that? Uh, <laughs> so weird. Um, and basically, there is this lovely combination of it being quite a tight little card game with having the, the randomness of the dice, but it's really well, uh, really well held together because you can have this amazing luck, but then you also have wonderful cards like, I think one of the cards is just called a Disturbance in the Force or something. And it basically means you can literally play this card and then you re-roll all of the dice. <laughs> so you re-roll yours and theirs. So it's just kind of like, I don't like what's happening over here. But then, you know, it's so there's some elements of madness there. And also there's a lovely thing where you can, whenever you want as an action, you can discard one of the cards from your hand and re-roll as many of your dice in front of you as you want. So it has this push-your-luck element. So it's like you can be like, okay, I really don't like those dice, so I'm going to spend this card re-roll them again it sounds like uh more straightforward than and like more straightforwardly clever than i would have expected like um i thought it was kind of just a dice game with some cards or a card game with some dice but it sounds like they really have made it so the dice affect the cards the cards affect the dice and yes you can do a lot of fun stuff within that design space yes yes and actually it's really lovely in the fact that the stuff you can do with the dice has a really broad range of things and some simple stuff like some of the dice you can get allow you to destroy other places players resources and like to play cards, to play new characters in front of you, not characters, sorry, play, you know, support things or new equipment for your characters, you need to buy them. And you have like a steady drip of money coming in every turn that you can use to buy cool new stuff. But actually, like, you can also do things to earn more money. But what you tend to find is you go, oh, I'm rich. I've got like five things I'm going to buy. And then you're like, oh, I've got no money. And then you might not have any money for like a couple of turns. So it does feel like when you're making choices, you have to be really really savvy and there's also a lovely thing like some of the dice for the best rolls you can get something like this dice does this dice roll does three damage but only if you spend one credit to like unlock that mm-hmm. damage so there's it's kind of lovely in the fact that the pace is nice there is a lot of luck but there's a lot of stuff that allows you to undo that luck mm-hmm. if by taking a hit yourself um but then also you have the ability to really kind of you're constantly trying to make quite tricky decisions you're constantly trying to look one step ahead and doing things like you know even the way you have to choose which characters you activate first to get dice into your dice pool, mm-hmm. it's like if you see they've got a credit and you think, oh, that credit, they're going to be able to do something with that nasty, do you want to roll the dice first that has the ability, the better chance of being able to remove their credit, destroy your credit? Right. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's really fast-paced. 
Um, I really, really like it as a game. It's a lot more engaging and interesting and fun. Paul, do you feel wow. the word but coming? <laughs> I I was just going to quickly say I really like the idea of all this interplay, the fact that people are constantly, you know, progress is so sort of parallel. You do something, they do something, you do something, that you always have a chance to react to what's happening. Yes. And that sounds that sounds really interesting yeah. to me. And you that sounds have- a lot more like players... Com- I want to say combine powers, but like having played some magic and not being crazy about magic, it feels like there isn't that same synergy in magic. No, I mean, there is still some synergy in terms of um, like in terms of, as I say, when you activate dice, you activate um, all of the you can activate as many dice as you want, providing they have the same symbol. So it means if you've yeah. got four dice and they all have ranged attack damage on it, then you can just activate them all as one action. But then the interesting thing as well is you each round of the game um, is until one player passes until, until, until both players oh. have passed. And there's also like a little battleground card, which means you can take it and something happens. You get a little bonus and it means you're completely passed for the rest of the round. So you have this weird sometimes interplay of you like almost rushing to do all your damage, but then you find yourself sitting there and then the other player can just take as long as they want to mm-hmm. just do their things without you being able to stop them. So you don't so, want to overreach at the same time. Yeah, so sometimes you're like, oh, actually, I'm just going to rush through this, do all my cool stuff, and then tap out. But then you might be leaving them to just cause havoc and you not be able to do anything about it. Okay, so I have a question, which is that the collectible card games that <clears throat> Fantasy Flight have done that we recommend, like Netrunner, like the Arkham Horror card game, to some extent Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, these are all games that do a pretty good job of telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. That's always been a big part of, um, like, it, it's like 10% of the 90% that we need to recommend to get a, one of these collectible card games. I don't hear you telling much of a Star Wars-y story with Destiny. I mean, there are elements of that. Um, <laughs> there are little pieces of story under this, you know, Womp Rat or whatever. Well, I think it's funny. They do represent, like, little kind of little tiny battles in a way. Uh, they don't escalate to being epic things. But presumably, is there, like, a light side and a dark side? Yes. But, can it, like, can does my ray fight against your... R2-D2. Yes. You're right. I mean, basically, wow. yeah. Like, you, can, you can mix it up, I think. I think. I think the only rule is you need all of your characters to be either all villains or all good. Oh, really? But then the cards don't matter. Right. Like, there's, there's, it has a colouring system whereby... That you have makes to have sense. A, you have to have a legal deck, but that's to do with, like, you can but only then, have like, your villains by my villains or whatever. I mean, yeah. So yeah. if you've got a blue blue character and a red character, it means you can have blue and red cards in your deck. Or if you have a yellow character, you have a yellow card. Wait, you what's know. yellow? Uh, yeah, it's just colour. It's just a system to basically make it so that for some sort of balance. I okay. But basically, yeah, um, to a degree, I mean, it is really exciting when you're like, you know, you draw a card of hand, hand of cards and you're like, oh, I've got a lightsaber, but I've also got a Jedi cloak. But I've also got like a Jedi mind probe. Like, which of these three things? Because I can probably only afford one. Which of these three things do I want to put on my cool Jedi? Okay. Um, well, what would you put on a Jedi? I now want to know which man. of those is the best. <laughs> I really like the Jedi mind probe because if you... Um, I think the ability that that has is it's got a really high chance of you being able to roll the dice and get the ability to just at random take cards out of their hand and discard them. Just basically That's destroy thematic. their hand. It sounds that horrendous. Is thematically appropriate. It sounds to me like, oh, Matt's but, doing a thing with, oh my God. I'm I sorry. Thought go, I thought we'd escape this. <laughs> no. So before I stop you here. Sure. Do you think this is worth us, before I stop you, that wasn't a sentence. Do you think it's worth you doing a proper review of this? I don't know. I'm conflicted about it. Okay, because if we... Okay, let's just roll with it. I mean, I'm still thinking. (laughs) 
But because <laughs> obviously we haven't covered the massive thing, which is the booster pack structure, right? Yes. And this is the thing. There's um, right off the bat, like you know, I started it with a couple of starter packs, right? Um, me and my friend, we sat on a train, we opened them up, we read the manual. It's a simple game, it's great, just start playing. But even simple things like the fact that in the manual, it's like this is a deck with twenty cards in it, and then the la- one of the last things it says in the in the manual about how to play the game is like you and your opponent will both build a deck of thirty cards. So you're like. Already you're like, okay, I've got this starter pack. And even though it's like, it doesn't say, and sometimes it's like a tiny thing. All it would need to say is maybe a a sentence after that saying, but of course you can have fun just with these 20 cards. But it's like, already I got the sense that it's like, oh, so actually this starter pack isn't actually the right amount of cards to play the game. They did that with X-Wing. They did that that with Armada. And they did it Hmm. just recently with the Rune Wars miniatures game as well of like, it's, you know, I don't know if you can win because with those games I mentioned, they don't do what, you're suggesting Mm. sorry they do exactly what you're suggesting they're like they just put this in front of you and it's only like hinted that you're playing half a game yes which i find more annoying than if the if the messaging had been this is a starter set it's not finished you need more stuff to play the game because i otherwise you'd get the game home and you're like hey let's play the full x-wing miniatures game with one x-wing it just feels strange particularly in a game which you can like burn cards to reroll dice and also in a game where when you run out of your own cards in your deck you are that's you're out you're done mm-hmm. it just i mean having like a third less cards than than is suggested for the game feels like it affects the pacing of the game and affects the structure of the game in a little bit but so, it's still been loads of fun but then the thing is yeah it's a booster pack structure where you buy a booster and you get five cards and a dice and there's a whole spread of things you can get really cool things you can get a millennium falcon you can get you know all the I characters. want a millennium falcon exactly and how much do i have to pay to make sure i get a millennium falcon well and that's Ooh. the thing that is the thing that's interesting and this is why i think reading between the lines why i think it sold out so so rapidly is because you know when i started looking into it you had you know great guys like team covenant basically before it came out being like hey here's what you like here's what you need to buy to get everything and it was like a lot of articles basically being like, hey, if you're, you know, because people who are into this stuff are maybe people who are into X-Wing yeah. and they want to get one of everything. Famously, when Magic the Gathering was first made, the designers had no idea that there were players in the world who would spend however much money it takes to get a copy of every card. Exactly. And so there were these lists being like, hey, so you want to buy maybe, you know, two of each of the starters and then this many packs. And I think that it actually, like, I think it sold out quite quickly, maybe just because, not because it was this like smash hit and everyone was playing it, but maybe just because a few, like a smaller group of diehard people who are really into X-Wing thought, this game looks great, I'm going to get into it, just went and bought tons of it. Boxes of boosters. So it's kind of an odd thing. And in in a way, to be honest, especially as I found that like, even with uh, Magic the Gathering, I I really, there's something about me that I really just dislike the um, the whole booster mechanic. Well, here's the thing. I think we can all, the funniest thing about us playing Magic the Gathering recently was that um, there was the the final session that you didn't come for. I was like, oh, we're only going to play one more session of Magic, so I'll bring a load of boosters. Yeah. And that was the most fun one because we opened loads of boosters and then after we were surrounded by all this tinfoil paper after our like bacchanalian card opening fest in the middle of the pub, we were like, oh, we have to play the game now, don't we? Yeah. Um, And so we can all agree that opening boosters is exciting and that's fine. But the problem is after you've bought your first 10, 15 boosters and then it's just diminishing returns because then you start getting duplicate copies of cards, then it becomes increasingly expensive to have less... What's the word? Less of an impact on your collection. Mm-hmm. And there's kids, less return on investment almost. Yep, yep absolutely. And it's essentially like uh, it's it's a, a government sanctioned form of gambling for miners, right? Yeah. Like, well, this uh, is the thing. And also it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I kind of tend to dislike it uh, for, for, for those moral reasons, but also just as a, as a personal for how I play. Like, you know, I'm I'm not 
a a teenager or like somebody with a dedicated really into gaming group that is going to like keep up with this or have rules like i've got my mates who i play games with every now and then and we sat down on the train and we both had a starter pack and we both wanted to play a game Mm -hmm. and then it's like i'm like well i kind of want to keep playing with them because we've played a couple of games we really like it it's a lot of fun i'm excited to see the potential for more but Mm -hmm. this is the point where i'd love it if it was just a living card game thing of just buying another couple of packs and then like working out a deck based on that Uh, because now i'm like well how do we do it should we both buy like three boosters and then like what if we want to get another friend in we've got a mate called Matt, who's mad into X-Wing, and he's just got it all now after he played a bit of it with Not us. Destiny. No, he's got all the X-Wing stuff, like, ridiculously. That's literally, like, But I know that if we grand. introduce him to this, like, it'd just be like, when we meet up to play it with him, like, mm. he'll, have, he'll have, like, this crazy collection, and we'll be like, oh, well, is the game fair now? That's the other thing, is I, basically I don't know, because I haven't got around to actually... We've played um, played the base uh, start game maybe three or four times, but haven't played haven't looked at any of the booster stuff yet. So I'm like, I just wonder how that how balanced that is. Okay, and- well, this is something we can figure out um, uh, in time. But I guess people shouldn't hold their breath for the official shut up and sit down review of Destiny because we might have stuff we want to review more. I just feel so uneasy and uncomfortable about the uh, about the business model of it. I really do, and I know it's a it's a business model that so many games use, and so many people are just used to it, and so many people are just fine with it but there's something in me that knows that when i look at this little list that comes with it of all the things you can potentially get in a booster mm-hmm. and how excited i get at the idea of getting a millennium falcon that i just think how excited are you actually about this game and how excited are you about opening new things yeah yeah that's that's, a, that's totally valid that's definitely that's a good point to end on i think and uh, so uh, blitzing on because we got to talk about the bgg top 100 feature uh, very quickly <gasps> paul how was ghostbusters 2 Ghostbusters 2 turned up unexpectedly. I played it. It has a lot of miniatures uh, to the point where you look at the back of the box and my friend Brian, who is one of the people I was playing it with, says the back of the box doesn't even really talk about the game that much. It mostly just talks about lots of miniatures being in the box. And I was like, hmm, that's a point. Almost as if it was being sold on the fact that it comes with a lot of miniatures rather than it's sort of like a slightly clunky dungeon crawl type game. I mean, that does which seem is to be what the, it feels like. the easiest genre to, to replicate. Uh, d- it, d- is there, mm. it says here in the... I don't know how much we have to cover a slightly mediocre dungeon crawl game, but it does... There's a note here in the podcasting document from you that reads, also, interesting discussion about ghosts, and then in all caps, MUST SHARE THIS! Yeah, so I'll get to that really quickly. It, it was a not... It was a not bad co-op game where we busted some ghosts and you can all get into Ecto-1 and drive around and get out again. How does busting make you feel, Paul? It made me feel a bit... It was a bit (laughs) slow at first because they have cool (laughs) mechanics about levelling up characters and getting equipment, getting new skills, and that's that's good. Uh, I don't like the way they have rules for, like maneuvers and actions and if you do this you can get another maneuver or you can get another action if someone, and it's if someone from the shut up and sit down community would like to try and take all of those words and put them into the original ghostbusters theme song <laughs> busted makes me feel and then just falls <laughs> slow <laughs> and then maneuvers, 30 seconds actions oh uh so this sounds like a game the, that, that isn't um isn't terribly you haven't got much uh, nice to say about so it wasn't it was not bad but it looks great and it's fundamentally like it's fundamentally fine it's just not very elegantly put together but there's a lot in the box and it's it it exists (laughs) that's not what i meant to say tell us a story about ghosts just tell us a (laughs) story 
What's it's, the? It's, I, I just want to get down. It's okay. It is not bad. It is not bad. You can have fun together, as some people. Once you just get over the damn manual and things, and there's loads of missions. It's great. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. And I, I went a bit wrong on social media a couple of weeks ago because we're trying to work out ghosts can go through walls in the game because they can, right? Because ghosts can do that. Uh, you cannot. If you're like if you're Winston Zedmore or a Bill Murray or something, you can't be in the same space as uh, Dan Aykroyd because you can't occupy the same space. Um, I mean, he's trying to work out a nightmare. Famously, yeah. uh, it's just like you know you can't say, share the same space on the board. But ghosts can go through things, and we're like, can ghosts go through other characters? They literally um, do in the movie, yeah. multiple times, right? And then suddenly I was like, can ghosts go through each other? Because what would stop ghosts from going through each other? And then I had a meltdown where I was basically like, can ghosts touch each other? Can they go through each other? Is there a thing with ghosts whereby, like, if they're, like, if they're not corporeal, right, and so they can go through walls or they can, like, in theory, like, be inside an object, why can they not be inside each other? So is, is can they? Because in the game they can't. Well, I mean, so the game assumes that they're solid to each other, but I don't wanna... then surely they can't go. They live in like are they displaced out of reality where they're solid <laughs> to each other, but they're wait, let me finish. <laughs> but they're corporeal to one another. Does this mean? Because I feel like corporeal should be an uh, incorporeal should be an absolute thing where you can move through everything, including your other ghost powers. Wait, 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 then, wait, wait! I don't want to overstep my listen. I don't want to overstep my boundaries and shut up and sit down, editor. But to me, ghosts uh-huh. exist in a sort of different reality. So yeah, that's why ghost can, reality. Yeah, ghost reality. So that's why they can. So walk they're displaced. And people, they're like displaced. We can see them, but they're in kind of like. Kind of like, well, I can't think of a, a comparison, but yeah, we can see them, but they don't exist in our reality. But in the ghost reality, they exist this, on the same plane, which is why ghosts wouldn't be able to move through each other. What which about, is valid. What about if ghosts can move through anything in our reality, but they're still affected by gravity? So as soon as a ghost appears, it just falls through the earth, and all of the ghosts are just gently humming oh, around at right. the centre of the earth. Because you get this tangent fly. where it goes nuts and none of it makes sense for, like, what? why can they go through solid objects, but then why do they also have ghostly solid Paul, objects, is this like the first ghost time clothes that, is this the first time or that, ghost objects? Is this the first time that a rules clarification question has resulted in you having a psychological meltdown? Because the gravity thing is valid, because, like, surely they would fall, or they'd fly off into space or something if they weren't... Can they do that? Can they just go into space? Can... What about things like ghost ships or ghost vehicles? <laughs> ghost ships are a great question, and I don't know what, if they're real. What about if there are, like, levels of being corporeal or incorporeal? So we're solid, like, ghosts are incorporeal, but then there are things that can move through ghosts. Well, there are Or, the, or we're not even the most corporeal, and there's other oh, stuff in the universe that's gas. more solid than us. Oh, listen to me, we there's can go gas, through, like there's gas. plasma. Right. So that was, thank you for listening to Spooky Paul's Ghostcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe now on we'll, iTunes. We'll be hearing more from Spooky Paul next uh, year. I mean, I love that, Paul. But also, it does seem like it's never going to end. It, I've been thinking about this for about two weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> and it just raises more and more questions. And it, it makes it even harder. Like, I don't believe in ghosts anyway, but you get to the point where it's just like, but how do they work and why? And... I, but they I, well this is the thing I think Ghostbusters I love it but it was oh my god you've, he's got me in his ghost trap he's got me talking about ghosts <laughs> he's got you in his ghost trap I'm not going to like the this. Ghostbusters do it's a ghost oh my god 
At the top of the show, I talk, I, I, we, we've overrun, but at the top of the show, I talked about uh, Roll for the Galaxy. So let's very quickly talk about that. Sure. Paul, uh, on shutupandsitdown.com, has an excellent written review of Roll for the Galaxy. And uh, Paul and I, Paul and I, Matt and I finally managed to play that uh, this week. It's really good, Paul. Did you know that the game you reviewed is really good? Because I guess you said. I it. want to know uh, how, I mean, you enjoyed it, but I want to know like what you got out of it. What were you thinking when you played it? What made you excited and happy and things? I'll tell you what, I got the same feeling I got from Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And I don't think Matt and uh, my friend Clark agreed with me on this. But when I was playing it, um, something I, at the end of Race for the Galaxy, I felt like the experience is complete. At the end of Roll for the Galaxy, I had this feeling of like, I was just getting started. Look at my tableau of cool planets. Um, Games ending slightly before you want them to is probably quite good. It makes you want to play them again. It's cool. And we did play Roll for the Galaxy multiple times in a row. But Mm -hmm. it just felt like I... it wasn't as bad as King Ludwig where it's like, oh my god, I, you sold me this game on the promise of building a cool castle and I've built a basement and a conservatory annex and now it's over. Um, but it did still feel like I wasn't done, you know? Yeah, you kind of like, you feel like you're halfway through building a machine and mm. then it's mm. over. But I liked it a lot. It's I, great. I thought it was kind of amazing in a way that it's like, it's a Euro game and you don't realise you're playing a Euro game until about halfway through. Oh, what, you mean like a resource management thing? Yeah, I was just like, ah, oh, has it happened? I was like, this is fun. And then after about 40 minutes, I'm like, I haven't interacted with anybody ever. I'm just looking yeah. at my little dice and my little boards. But it was cool, building a little space And empire. occasionally saying things like, hey, look, everyone, my pirates have a tourist centre now. I mean, like, I, I, did <laughs> lo- I did love the theming. I mean, the first game, I'm like, hey, what am I doing? Just selling novelty crap, I think. I'm making money from novelty crap. The what second am I doing game, in the second like, game? I'm an awakened alien race that's destroyed a world and is now apparently marching around the world with the universe with fascism, what it looks like. I was possibly, like, kind of like, it was very... Warhammer 40k, like the cards I kept drawing and building, it was like, sure, now I've got more army. There was a really cool idea for Race for the Galaxy in um, in one of the expansions that I've heard from people who are really competitive about the game. Um, isn't that great if you play Race for the Galaxy at a really high level, but it's called um, Rebel vs. Imperium, I think, or Brink of War or mm-hmm. something. Um, and the idea is that there are cards shuffled into the deck that are definitely Empire, like Imperium rather, or definitely Rebel. Mm-hmm. And um, what do these cards do? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything, right? Um, until, like if you put a Rebel system in your galaxy, then your sector of space is affiliated as, oh, well, they're friends of the Rebellion. And then again, what does that do? Oh, it does nothing. Unless you have someone else who is um, allied with the Imperium, because then they can attack you. So it just took certain cards in the deck and went, yeah, I this, play this card, it'll probably be fine, unless. Unless. <laughs> unless. And then you could end up having like people getting really bullied then. Well, it was it was the expansion that added player interaction to Race for the Galaxy, and um, suddenly all that military power, the red icon, um, yeah. could actually be employed in other players, but only if they let you. Which I thought was, a, again, on paper, a super clever idea of like, oh, we have these players who like conflict and these players who don't like conflict, and all of board gaming is divided into do players fight or not. Yeah, so you just don't go to fight club. Well, exactly. It's like, what if we have a board game where players can fight or be fought only if they play a game in a certain way? Which I thought was really smart. Yeah, that is cool. Hmm. Yeah. No, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Fantastic. And it's so um, weirdly just sort of colourful and having all of those dice, I really like the art on the cards and I kind of like the, the visual design of the whole thing. And then just having all of these sort of candy-like dice... Yeah, I just kind of also wish, made me quite happy. I got, I was a little saddened by the fact that um, the dice, like getting a rare yellow alien dice in your cup, didn't 
impact the game that much. It just has some different uh, faces. But I did um, get sent the expansion, uh, which I forget the name of. But the first expansion for Roll for Galaxy adds some new dice with some cool different dice faces. Um, but yeah, it's not like it sounds like Quarriers or Star Wars Destiny where you roll the dice and you go, oh, I rolled the face. No. That means now I can have a lightsaber. It's like, I, I kind of like the way that it was like as soon as I realized, that, oh, these dice have slightly different attributes. So I kind of like then it, it kind of gave me that kind of feeling smart for cracking a puzzle of being like, all right, well, I'll get these dice and I'll bring these dice out and I'll roll this handful of dice, which makes me like statistically more likely to get this sort of mm, thing. Mm. And then it meant that because I'd made a conscious choice of like, what dice am I going to pick to roll? Because what do I want to do? It kind of meant that when I actually then rolled well and got lucky, you felt like that was I your felt choice. clever. I felt yeah. like, yeah, yes, this was exactly what you were hoping for, yeah, um, <laughs> which I thought was was really neat. I think the way I'd probably describe it is if you want a really... Because I've been puzzling like now, which game do I recommend, race or roll for the galaxy? Because they're both so good. I think basically if you're shallow and you like bits and pieces and stuff, <laughs> like Matt, then yeah. roll is the thing. And if you want a game that's like theoretically really clever but in practice you're never going to play it enough to actually explore that cleverness then you want to race for the galaxy but it's a hard choice it's, it's, it's a it's, hard choice but I, as i said in the donor newsletter this month man if we're having such a hard time deciding which of these two games is better does it matter like if i can't tell no. which of these two games i'd rather own then it isn't a decision that our, our listeners I mean, should worry about sometimes it's like no go with your fine. gut sometimes it's just like for many people if you've got limited space it's like what what space have you got in your collection what do cheaper, you want which, which game is cheaper game, in my country do you want something with loads of dice do you want a small game do you want a big game yeah, yeah. absolutely alright 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 lads lads Lads, lads. Mm-hmm. calm yourself. Uh-oh. On uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down website, which is shutupandsitdown.com, last week we published a feature that we'll, we will... That I, I'm, we're probably going to forget to link it. So instead, it's a feature that people can find if they Google it. Um, Shut Up and Sit Down takes on the board game Geek Top 100. It's something like 15,000 words from the entire of our editorial Huge team. Huge amount of writing. Yep. Um, and uh, looking up old reviews and transcribing videos. And uh, yeah, basically the idea for this really was, um, obviously, you know, the BGG uh, Top 100 is a subjective list made by votes from the entire board game community. Yeah, it's um, people can uh, score a game out of 10 or out of 100 on Board Game Geek. And once a game gets more than a couple of hundred votes, it sort of like enters the... the the Thunderdome, yeah, of like of the the algorithm they use, um, and then it's like the number of votes a game has weights it on these charts, but mostly it's about what the game's average is out of ten, um, and it gets used a lot. Board Game Geek being this massive, uh, central and very uh, well kept up to date database, people use the top one hundred a lot for what are the best games yeah. ever. But um, we got into a little bit of trouble with the internet. Because a lot of people, I think, had kind of assumed that, um, well, mathematically, if everyone votes for, for this game to be number one, it is the best game ever. So in our top 100, it was a lot of us saying, well, no, this game shouldn't... Like me saying, Star Wars Rebellion, I don't think is the fifth best game of all time. Yeah, or, you don't? But, but also, that led to, I think, some really cool discussions. Because a guy in the comments, like, I was like, ah, oh, Star Wars Rebellion gets this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And I repeated some of my reviews and quoted it. And then, hey, you know what? A guy in the comments showed up and said, hey, Quinn's, if you don't think Star Wars Rebellion is that good, what is the game that offers that experience, that beautiful two-player, really thematic experience better? And I was yeah. like, oh, well, crap, I can't think of it. And also, it's like a lot of people yeah. are pointing out that actually this is the kind of game which is a tactical game that you're supposed to play again and again and not think about the theme, but then which is like, okay, fine, but it was a game that was really pitched 
as being a story. A thing, tell your thing. Star Wars. Like, you can have right. two Death Stars. You can re- rewrite the story of. So again, it's like these things are complicated. But I think the coolest thing that's come out of the feature was discussion. We yes. discuss. We don't always agree, and I think we got some amazing discussion in the comments. Um, but when we covered the BGG Top 100, it was a lot of us saying. I don't think this game should be here because, well, we're looking at the games that are there. So what we want to do in this podcast as an accompanying feature, although people should definitely check out the feature on our website, um, we're going to talk about some of the games that should be there. Absolutely. And actually, I think I'd just like to say before we go in that like, there was uh, roaming around um, us kind of uh, having our subjective take on this subjective list. A lot of people really quite <laughs> mad about it and, and were quite reverent towards the, the list and uh, angry particularly that you know there was a handful of stuff that we hadn't played or hadn't got around to looking at yet or we just felt wasn't of interest to us so we hadn't really put high on our list. And um, I found a fascinating thing that kept coming up. A lot of people kept saying, oh, it's, you know, it's outrageous that as board game critics they haven't played this. It would be like... Da, 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 da. And I thought something that was really interesting that I spotted it, what, a couple It of would times. be like a film critic having well, not seen Citizen that's Kane. That's it. Somebody, yeah, they say that. Or one person... I saw a few people saying it would be like a music critic not being familiar with the work of the Beatles. But then somebody else saying it would be like a music critic not being familiar with Nevermind's... With Nirvana's Nevermind. And I thought that in itself was really interesting because <laughs> already you've shown that, like, yeah. the, the parts of the medium that you think are essential is going to vary from person to person. And like, I probably would lean more towards Nirvana than the Beatles personally, but even so I'd be somewhere completely different in terms of what I thought was important. And the, and we're going to let you speak in a moment, Paul, I'm well aware that Matt and I are just... <laughs> no, this just, is fine. We're wittering. But um, the other interesting thing is that people hold this list in such reverence. Um, and yet... A cool and bad thing about it is that the board game community's most important top 100 is divided is decided by user votes. That's great. That's like something much more welcoming and accessible than um, than uh, than most like oh a thousand films you must see before you die that's entirely written by film critics. But board game geeks user base. Uh, so th- uh, I'm gonna I've got to get this point across because it's important. On the one hand, board game geeks user base is better than critics writing the list because critics will write stuff that a lot of sort of. I don't know what you'd call it, like regular Joes, like fans wouldn't like. But the bo- the people who rate games on Board Game Geek do not represent most board gamers. They represent most board game collectors and yeah. most older board game dweebs yes. who are nerdy enough like us to rate games on Board Game Geek. Yeah. So you get a top 100 that isn't skewed towards critics and isn't skewed towards the masses, but something in between. And that means we've got some just ludicrously good games that should be in there that aren't. And I think also you can imagine how weird would it have been if we'd done this feature and for the whole of it we'd gone, yep, <laughs> like perfect. And, and it, it wouldn't, if, if our like complete views on the order of the list and what was on the list completely aligned really closely with BGG, then it would be bizarre. And I think people have to appreciate that sometimes they might find it frustrating, but you know, we, we are a different beast. Mm-hmm. Right? We're a different strain. And just in the fact that the Beatles and Nirvana are not, that similar it's okay within a medium to have like this real divergence Mm -hmm. and and it's okay to have uh, lists and critics that just completely disagree on things and you know what's funny as well is that people have like said for a while like oh well shut up and sit down doesn't like euro games or oh no they they don't like thematic games and people have been wrong but these days we've been doing enough reviews that i'm seeing people online who are correct in identifying our biases that we have like yeah oh they seem to like having fun interactions with friends and i'm like yeah you don't (laughs) are you kidding um, or like you know they like funny games and that's absolutely true we're yeah. not absolutely skewed towards games that we find funny because laughing is great and it's I don't I don't feel guilty about saying exactly. that one of the best things a game can do is make us laugh but um, so the point of this let's list some games that aren't in the board game week top 100 that we didn't have the chance to talk about last week and it is a crime and Paul why don't you start us off by picking a few games 
I'm actually going to pick from the very top of this list because it's a great place to start. And why this, don't you I've give just been the, going back and forth? This this is huge. Why don't you give the board game geek ranking first, and then the game that's and then the name of the game? Huge. Well, it's just outside the top 100. It's in at 114, and it is. I feel like I'm reading the charts. For yeah, like you music sound like or something. <laughs> it's Paul's pop hits. <laughs> It's Galaxy Trucker, mm. which is funny, funny that you talk about player interaction because there's virtually none in it, but it is funny and kind of stupid. Well, there's no mechanical it's interaction. shipbuilding nonsense. There's so much interaction, Paul. You spend the entire game laughing at your friends when their ships collapse. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, you're right, though. There's not, yeah, uh, no there's not, well, there's very little mechanical interaction, yeah. Aside from the fact you're physically reaching into the same pile. That that's that's about it. But you know what? I don't care for that game for Galaxy Trucker because you have so much to to think about when you're building a ship, which you're you know you're kind of doing against the clock, trying to do that faster than everyone else, and then so much to worry about when you go on a journey and you start being hit by asteroids, <laughs> or you want to jump to the front of the queue so that you can you know grab a derelict ship and get some cash. It just it's so thematic in a way that isn't quite like anything else it's so silly it's so space slapstick and no one has done space slapstick better and it's it, you can tell that clearly lots of people are enjoying it at bgg if it's just there just outside the top 100 if it's yeah. teetering it's clearly still in their wheelhouse and still making a lot of people happy and and oh my goodness if it could just nudge its way up or nudge its way past a couple of those things that we that we thought were good but maybe not quite good enough then then the world would be a fairer place i am going to agree with you that was galaxy trucker if people want to google uh, our coverage of that um the game i'm gonna pick uh, let's let's just go round and round whipping round like a good old <gasps> board game whip around like our mothers used to do um i'm gonna name carcassonne paul because i think you're too nice a boy to do it uh, carcassonne one of paul's favorite games ever I think you yeah. believe you play it on your iPad with all, with board game notables like every night. It's the only way you can get to sleep. It's true. I, we all know this. Anyway, about I, I play it, yeah, pretty much like I have two games going at the moment. So Carcassonne, a game that delights just God knows how many people that sold, I think, easily must have passed a million copies by now. Um, everyone enjoys it. It's so clever. It's so simple. It's so hard. Um, and yet, languishing outside of the charts at number 129, uh, which seems insane. I could easily see that in the top 20 board games ever. Uh, Matt, what might you pick? I'm quite shocked to see Innis so high, actually, at 207. I know it's newer, and the availability hasn't been huge, mm-hmm. but having played, you know, uh, all of the other games in that series, really, like Cyclades, Kemet... And Comet's very high as well in the list. Yeah, I think Comet's in the top 100. Um, it was pretty high. Oh, I'll tell you what, hang on, wait. What? Okay, wait. wait. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to alarm anyone. In that series, I think the three of us might agree that um, Cyclades or Inish is the best one, and then I think Comet is number three. I don't. I don't see. Much. I'm very fond of Comet, but I haven't played it as much as you, so maybe I'm not. Well, it's just by far the messiest system of rules, and Inish and Cyclades. It's messy, but it's very gamery. My point is that fine if you're going to have Comet. <laughs> I can see all three games in the top 100. I think Comet. Oh yeah, absolutely. My I, point I wouldn't is like, try how on and, yeah. earth can Comet be in the top 100 where Cyclades and Inish aren't? I mean, Inish is Inish probably Inish just because people haven't played it yet. It's. Right? I mean, but it's just incredible. Again, though, I mean, maybe. Some people, I, I have heard some people really bounce off it, but I've just found it permanently so funny. I think it, takes, it takes a couple of games. Paul, do you want to pick something? I was going to say the availability absolutely is a thing, though, because didn't it sell out? 
Um, yeah. That was um, the t- we saw we helped a couple of Matago games become like completely ungettable last year. One of which was Captain Sonar, BGG rank one 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 five, still not in the top one hundred, and the other of which was Inish. And if people want to Google Inish, it's spelled I N I S. Skull, skull. My, this is this is not this is not even funny. The number on this, but again, I shouldn't be getting. I, we, I made this joke in the actual writing. It's like on, Matt, just in the, the same number, way though? that everyone's getting number? angry at us for talking about numbers. I, I as a human as well, get angry about numbers Look, when I'm fine. like, "You're an idiot." Look, we've just had to put up with a week of people getting angry about numbers. Yes. Let's get angry about numbers. Skull is it four hundred and eighty-five? Four hundred eighty-five. Yeah. When I think arguably Skull might just be the best game. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like um, I don't. I have I have played Skull. With ooh, 30, 40 people, I don't think I've met anyone who hasn't had a great time. It is the one game I will yeah. almost always play. Even when I'm like I'm at conventions and I'm wiped out and people say, hey, do you want to play a game? Do you want to do something? Like The one thing that I will always say, sure, is is Skull. That and Cockroach Poker. I'll tell you what, Cockroach I was, Poker. I was going to say. Cockroach Poker. Oh, oh my what? goodness. Cockroach the number poker on that. Rank 1,267. So yeah, already it's like, you just, just feel like in this list there is a natural slant towards thing against things that are maybe simplistic. Like um, Love Letter is again, I, I kind yeah, of... This is insane. Everyone loves Love Letter. It's great. It's at rank 172. What is going on? I mean, it just seems like this still seems good. I think like... There's, um, I don't know. I feel like the BGG Top 100 skews towards games that really excite people, games that are the most. Um, so I'm going to, well, I, I don't want to jump the queue, Paul. Why don't you name one more before I name the single most egregious game on that isn't in the BGG Ooh. Top 100? Oh, God, now I'm, I'm just, I'm, mm. well, all right, to keep this up then, I'm also going to say Sheriff of Nottingham because it's another game that mechanically is very simple it's not quite a smaller skull or love letter or cockroach po- poker, but you could almost still take it to the pub, yeah. play it with people, and play with people who have never played it before. And the people who have never played it before will probably be as good at it or close to as good as you are because everybody gets what the point of it is really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's returning to cockroach poker and skull. That's something that I like about them so much I'm- and why I... I they're, they're great introductions to the hobby, but even if you played them a hundred times, you don't get bored of the dynamics that they promote. I think Sheriff of Nottingham and has something in common with Fun Employed. Fun Employed, rank number. Oh, it's somewhere on the list. I can't see it. It really lives or dies depending on on the people you and, play it with. Well, sure. I mean, that, that's true for a lot of games. But what I was going to say is that I can't find Fun Employed on this list. Um, is that Fun Employed and Sheriff Nottingham are both games where they take activities that people do in their daily lives. Like Fun Employed, immediately people feel a bit more comfortable because they've all done job interviews. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff of Nottingham, yeah. everyone has been through airport security and yeah. everyone's tried to like get something past someone. So they take... Um, Not necessarily activity. in airport security. <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, but yes, in life yeah. you've been in that situation. Yeah, I mean, you're, just, you're kind of thinking it when someone looks at you. It's like rather back. than the full-on deception games, it's telling it's porkies. It's like, did you eat my biscuit? Yeah, it's did you eat my biscuit, the game. Um, <laughs> so I think the single most egregious thing that's happened from the top 100 is Mysterium, which is Board Game Geek Ooh. rank 125. I think the new Asmodee edition of Mysterium, with the big player screen and them redoing all the artwork, isn't just one of the most beautiful games ever made for a relatively affordable price. I think it's so colourful and so evocative and so exciting and so clever and so sharp. And I've had great times with it all the time. I think Mysterium is in 
not even my top five board games. I think it's in the top five board games ever made because it's a perfect confluence of theme and art and game and accessibility. It like It's a 10 in all four of those things for me, um, which nothing is. Um, not even Pandemic Legacy, which requires, I don't know, it, it requires a little more buy-in from the players than Mysterium does. I'm a little shocked as well to see City of Horror, a City of Horror at uh, 1,083, <laughs> considering zombie games are quite popular. Ooh. And that's one of the few zombie games I've actually played which does successfully uh, replicate. City of Horror is a remake of a game called um, Mall of Horror, I think. So I'm going to... Ah, so maybe that one. Let, let me just punch it into the shut up and sit down supercomputer. Well, we also have this issue then, don't we, where sometimes the games wrote, were listed multiple times you, you if there were different editions. <laughs> you do that thing of typing the word you were saying. Mall of Computer, now available. I do that so much nowadays. Okay. Apparently it's not called Mall of Horror. Uh, Mall you of spelled Ho- horror wrong. I spelled horror with three R's. Horror. There you go, Mall of Horror. Uh, Which is a maybe better voted? Um, overall rank 1,097. Average 6.7. Mm. I tell you what, board game geek users hate negotiating. Interesting, because I, I think I, what I loved about that, and again, like, you know, one of the contentious things was the um, Zombicide uh, series, which is largely about, you know, getting guns Oh, yeah, I threw some shade at Zombicide Black Plague. Yeah, no, fair. I mean, I, I think it's, it's the interesting thing is it's like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it comes down to what you want from zombie experiences. Like, I grew up, like, loving zombie films and, you mm. know, but, like, old school stuff where zombie films are not about zombies, they're about people. Yeah. And um, I did like Sweet of Horror for that. It's not a pleasant game to play sometimes, but it is, like... It is like the most realistic simulation I've played of are you going to throw this child out on the street just because you don't want to die? Yeah. Which I think is worthwhile. I think so. I think it's as well interesting that um, deception games can get a pass on Board Game Geek. So Mm. the Resistance and Battlestar Galactica both made their way into the top 100. Yeah. Because I think the idea of like one of us is a traitor seems to be palatable. Mm -hmm. Whereas games like Chinatown or City of Horror or Imperial 2030 or I mean other stuff that's more based on negotiation and talking, with the exception of like the Game of Thrones board game, but that's not really a negotiation game anyway. Diplomacy, for no. example, none of those games are in the top 100. Pure talking is... You know what? As well, though, Spyfall uh, was yeah. not as high as I'd hoped. Spyfall's a great in... example. Board game geek ranked And I can't wonder if in some of these cases the ranking's affected by people just not being able to get hold of these or these sometimes being a little rarer because returning to what we said about Inish, Spyfall... It hasn't been as common a game as I actually first thought that it might be. I think as well, it really comes. It really comes down to what sort of person are you? What sort of games do you play? Like I, I am familiar with Board Game Geek. I use it as a resource. It's a wonderful, well-oiled machine. But to be honest, if I wasn't working on this site and I was not like, well, I was it. just, if I was just somebody who played games and played the same sort of games I play now, there's no way I would ever use this site, and I'd never log rankings or anything like that. You're wrong, Paul. Spyfall received 11,000 ratings, which is more than enough to get it in the top 100. But wow. the, aver- the average okay. rating, is, I am wrong. Yep, the average rating is 7.2. Whereas you need more like a 7.5 or an 8. So yeah, we've got to make it clear that we, we celebrate Board Game Geek. We think it's a great system. We think it's an amazing archive of information and data. But at the same time, it's, it's, it, as we've seen, it's just not representative of the entire hobby. Well, and that's fine. As a database, no complaints, aside from the fact that it's a bit difficult to find your way around. But the reverence people hold for the top 100, people have to realise that people who collect board games and use board game geek that's not a perfect sample you no know? it's i mean it's, it's actually ridiculous if it as we found out recently from some of our friends at asmodee i think double is people what's asmodee's biggest selling game you would assume like Catan or carcassonne it's double 
Yeah, double. People love double. Double would be the number one game of all time if, like, if board ge- if you know, uh, yeah, full board game. Yeah, it'd be like double then mm. ticket to ride. So it's it's kind of a strange one. It's like, is it is it the will of the people or is it just a subsample? Yeah, should we? Uh, we've got to round off this podcast, but I just want to yell out some more, some of the more egregious things. Tales of the Arabian Nights, BGG rank two six six. Lords of Vegas, Lords of Vegas, BGG rank three three one. Ra. BGG rank one two three. Flam Rouge, BGG. 750 I knew that you'd be upset about that Flam Rouge Flam Rouge is so good It's It's so so simple but it it flies It literally rolls like a thing on a hill Love Letter you already pointed out 172 which is insane Yes Space Alert 120 I mean this is just Uh, We promise this will be the last time that the podcast will sound like the shipping forecast Arboretum 349 (laughs) Archipelago 249 Conan Oh yeah, Libertalia. that is actually a funny one. Archipelago, all the way up there, but it's so it's complex and crunchy I mean, and clever. I and feel like Archipelago's rank is down to the fact that if you can get through the manual and the rules explanation, then you're probably the kind of person who would enjoy it. It's self-selecting in that way. Masquerade eight hundred. That one is very divisive, though. I think if you if you cook up the right deck and you get the right table, that game is very cool. It's very funny. It's very funny. It's a very funny game. People shouldn't forget about Masquerade. Ooh, I've just seen something. What have you seen? (laughs) All right, well, first of all, I want to quickly state the the thing again about it's weird that some games have multiple entries for multiple editions, which I think makes the, the... the ranking a little odd. Robo Rally two nine six. I don't know what edition of Robo Rally oh, this geez. is. I don't care for Robo Rally. Why did? Why is it got so high? Which version of it is? Why? Why is it here? Oh, Get rid of it. It's the best game, Paul. Paul, I don't think you understand. Uh, Subjectively, I I I believe that you are objectively wrong about Robo Rally. Junkart seven one one. That's one of your games. See, that you that's champion. better than Robo Rally. That's much no, guys, better. Guys, we have to agree. As was detailed <gasps> on, on, you know, the company's house registration for the company, Paul, you are a ghost expert, and Quentin, you are head of robots. I, and you cannot keep fighting uh, when you, you're out of your element like this. Damn it, Paul, this is the robot jurisdiction. If, guys, 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 if, guy, in fact, anyone listening to this podcast, <laughs> please go and rate Go Cuckoo so it can get higher than 2,977. 2, oh, my God. Go Cuckoo, a game that I feel should be called chicken sticks <laughs> that uh, would be really good but hey um yeah i think we should uh, we should wrap that up thank you all very much for listening most importantly um if you would like to see our feature on the bgg top 100 um if you listen to this podcast now uh, it's going to be buried at it might be on page two of the front page but easy just google shut up and sit down take on the board game geek top 100 and all the articles linked to each other yeah give it a read it's surprisingly fun it's full of jokes <laughs> people got really angry about that but you, that's fine you can see matt going increasingly crazy because at the beginning of the feature i went matt if there's a train game we haven't played you have to write about it and then there weren't any more and, and i was so really sad annoyed. i was so i was waiting and waiting and the trains never came uh so enjoy our lists enjoy the lists but always remember that the only important list is a list in your heart. It's not true, is it? Oh, it's not Paul, true. it's not true. No, it's, it's true. true. It's very important. What's in your heart? That's that's what you'll be judged on when you get to the Egyptian afterlife. Exactly. If you have a good question about board games, play, life, dating, kissing... Don't. We'll, um, we'll get so many questions. You can do that, and because we're, we're a little shy on really, really great short questions to answer on the podcast, so... If you've got a good question, you'd like to read out, have your name read out and a question read out, then email contact at shutupandsitdown.com. 
Thank you. Let's do a quick fire Q and A. Dude, I need to make. Let's do I that need to make week. dinner. Matt and I are just about to start a new role playing campaign tonight. Yeah, not now. And uh, we will this weekend. Amazingly. We're going to be... At the UK Games Expo. In Birmingham. I mean, when this podcast goes out, we will literally be in Birmingham already. Exactly. So if you are at the UK Games Expo, then maybe try and come along to one of the two live podcasts, but you have to get there a little early to queue. Otherwise, maybe you'll see us wandering around yes. and you can be like, hey! <laughs> and we'll be like, hey! What should they yell if they see us wandering um, around? Hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, that's quite funny, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you yell, hey, buddy! Like you're a sort of aggressive thug. Yeah, hey, like like we, we yeah, come up to us that and say, hey, buddy, wrong. as if we owe you, like, thousands of pounds. <laughs> and, and you have already threatened us with violence several times. Unless we look sad and tired and yes. then don't... <laughs> In which case, please don't. It could go badly for either one of us. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much for Maybe listening. Maybe just say hello. <laughs> Paul, say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.